I'm Jenny Smith and this is the Tree Podcast, conversations about communicating climate change. In this podcast, we'll take a look at how to talk about climate finance. With leaders about to head to Paris to agree a new global climate agreement, finance could be the make or break of any future deal. In 2009, developed governments committed to providing $100 billion in finance each year by 2020 for adaptation and mitigation activities in developing countries. In Paris, they'll be expected to show just how they'll reach this goal, as well as setting out a new regime for climate finance and the post-2020 agreement. I'm joined by Sandra Guzman from the Mexican Centre for Environmental Law, who explained that one of the major issues when it comes to climate finance is that there's no clear definition on what we mean. We don't have a definition about what climate finance is. The Standing Committee on Finance in 2013 came out with this definition about that climate finance has for objective the reduction of emission and and also has um, as an objective uh, increase the carbon storage in in a natural way. But also is the finance that has as objective the reduction of vulnerability and and how can we increase resilience uh, to the negative impacts of climate change. So even though a lot of actors recognize that these uh, elements are part of the climate finance definition. There is not an universal uh, definition as such. And the Standing Committee is still working on that, which is a, an important issue because obviously if we are discussing about how we are going to consider climate finance, it's important to have a de- definition. Definition or not, though, climate finance is going to be a crucial component of success in Paris. Climate change cost and increasing social cost, but also economic cost. And obviously, if, if climate change costs, somebody has to pay. So climate change as a, is a problem that is increasing other development problems, such as poverty and hunger and other problems that we have been living for the last decades. And there are studies that said that if we really want to, to deal with climate change, we, we should invest uh, around 300 uh, billion of dollars to invest in activities to, to mitigate, well, to reduce emissions and to reduce the vulnerability. Obviously, there are a lot of point of views about how much money we have to invest to deal with climate change, but the reality is that climate change is really having a lot of cost, and the problem is that some of the countries that are suffering, let's say, like more the impacts of climate change are very vulnerable and poor countries that cannot afford to, to pay for this cost. Climate finance is a key issue in the agreement because even though if we have an ambitious agreement without finance to comply with the activities, probably we are just going to have a piece of paper. If we don't have money to actually reduce emissions and to reduce vulnerability and to actually comply with, for instance, the intended national determined contributions that countries are putting in the table. If they don't put money to comply with them, we are just talking about best wishes but not actually real action. Lise Cranest from Oxfam International agrees about the importance of climate finance for the Paris deal. She examines what the key sticking points could be adapting to the changing climate is rising very fast. It's uh, possibly the most pressing issue that the Paris package must address, apart from obviously making sure that we do stay below two degrees and and manage to ratchet up 
our ambition as what we see really as key issues is on the pre-2020 side, the, the 100 billion, where we've seen that the OECD reports show that they're only a very small part of climate finance is going to adaptation, only 16%, because adaptation is local activities that can be mostly, in the majority, met by public finance because there is no real return for private investors. The much larger share of public finance should be going to adaptation. And one of the key issues we would like to communicate around is to make sure that this figure of 16% goes up and that we get a political agreement in Paris that for the pre-2020 package, that at least 50% of climate finance should be for adaptation. In terms of the post-2020 finance, we think it's quite important that the lessons are learned from the $100 billion for disagreement, in particular that lumping together $100 billion private-public adaptation mitigation isn't very helpful because it shows that there's always downward pressure on the adaptation figures and there's no real clear different approach to to adaptation. We really think that the current adaptation regime needs a, a major upgrade. And to be able to do that, we think that there must be strong provisions in the Paris Agreement to make a decisive shift, really. One way to do that is by ensuring that there's a the dedicated collective public finance target for adaptation in particular, that will see at least 50% of overall public finance flow to adaptation from 2020 onwards. And this would be embedded within a, a system for ensuring that climate finance is provided, including global targets for adaptation and mitigation that are looked at every five years. And actually, we're, we're starting to communicate uh, more and more about uh, actual figures. The final thing I wanted to say is in terms of communications is that it's quite important that we really press the relationship with aid. So far, uh, already 20% of the aid pot is climate finance, and that number is increasing. The only vision that developed countries have for climate finance is that uh, both road development and climate finance will be financed out of this 0.7% pot, with on top of that, of course, all the mobilized private finance, the loans, etc. We think it's very risky not to, not to have uh, clear indications in the Paris Agreement that, that that is not an acceptable situation and that we do need this innovative sources being mobilized and we need a clear hook in the agreement to make sure that this is something that they need to come back to. Of course, there are a lot of point of view about who has to pay. The convention says that are developed countries the ones that have the responsibility to pay for climate change and for the impacts of climate change. Therefore, but however, let's say, a lot of developing countries are also creating the problem now. So as you know, China, Brazil, Mexico, and other developing countries are also contributing with the, with the greenhouse gases emissions. And now uh, there is a debate that probably they should be spending uh, money also to, to deal with climate change. For Sandra, at the heart of the new finance agreement is not only the quantity of the money countries will receive, but also the quality of that money. Uh, we need more money, but in our point of view, it's also a matter of how to get better money. We need these 100 billions per year, but only we need more. But it's not only a matter of how, like the quantity, but also the quality. So we have to, to invest in more activities to reduce emissions and to reduce vulnerability, but we also have to encourage countries to invest in the activities that are producing the problems, such as the, invest, the investments in fossil fuels. A lot of countries, and just to give you an example, are saying that we need more money. For instance, in the case of Mexico, they are asking for more money, but at the national level, we are spending quite a lot of money in activities that produce the problem, which is activities like fossil fuels, you know, 
so we have to be coherent in, in this context, and obviously this is why the climate finance discussion is so complicated, because it's not only a matter of more money, but we also have to push for better money. People may have seen around the G20, there was lots and lots of noise around the fossil fuel subsidies that the G20 as a whole, but then also particularly developed countries, are still channeling on a you know, yearly basis to uh, fuel climate change instead of dealing with it. So contrasting what the, the dirty money that is being spent versus the support for climate action, I think, is another very clear message back towards developed countries. There are direct fossil fuel subsidies. Overall for the G20 that stands at 77 billion direct subsidies. But then if you take into account a whole lot of other further indirect subsidies, including state ownership, it mounts to 450 billion. So these are huge figures and really provide no excuses for, for the lack of progress on climate finance. With finance expected to be a contentious issue in Paris, Lee stressed that it's important not to allow ourselves to get swept up in misinformation. One thing I think to stress is to say that developing countries are not going around with a begging bowl and that it's not a question of them trying to squeeze as much as, much as they can, They're trying to squeeze money out of this deal. They're already themselves stepping up with ambitious INDCs. They're also paying lots of money already for adaptation. We did some assessment of what's, what they already need to pay out of their own pockets. Sub-Saharan Africa, for example, is already paying around five uh, billion a year in dealing with adaptation, which is several times uh, the amount of money they receive in adaptation and adaptation support. Also, if we look at in terms of what they're putting forward in their INDCs, they're much closer to their fair share than what developed countries are currently doing. People may have seen the CSO equity review. So we can really see in terms of leadership that many of these developing countries are providing greater leadership than developing, developed countries are doing. So developing countries are providing greater leadership. So that, that's, I think, a very important message in terms of pushing back on some of the perceptions by developed countries or the kind of the way they try to frame this that basically this is just this kind of way in which they try to squeeze money uh, out of this. This is not true. There's a, a great leadership already. However, the cost of this is so overwhelming that there has to be something in this deal for these countries. They cannot go back home and basically say, well, we committed to increasing our ambitions um, even further than what we already done, but we haven't got any money uh, to be able to pay for it. So imagine any of the developed countries having to come back to their voters and citizens with, with such a message. So that doesn't work. And on that note, we'll wrap up this tree podcast. A huge thank you to Sandra Guzman from the Mexican Centre for Environmental Law and Lise Kreisnet from Oxfam International. The tree podcast is a product of the Global Call for Climate Action. You can find more resources on our website, treealerts.org.